Hey, thanks for joining us for the Hemisync Podcast. We're joined today by Dr. Jennifer Lisa Vest, who has a PhD in Indigenous Philosophies and Ethnic Studies from UC Berkeley. She is a psychic, medium, medical intuitive, energy healer, and Akashic Records reader. She has a background in African American hoodoo, Native American sweat lodge, Jamaican revivalism, and Trinidadian shango and spiritualism. She is also well-versed in Reiki, pranic healing, spiritual healing, and quantum healing hypnosis technique. Her new book is called The Ethical Psychic from North, from North Atlantic Books. Here is Dr. Jennifer Lisa Vest. So, Jennifer Lisa, thanks for joining us. Really good to have you on the show. Um, you know, I thought I'd start with a brief personal anecdote, if that's okay. I mean, we've known each other for a few years now. Um, and kind of around the time when we first met, um, you were attending one of my workshops. And so I heard either through other people or maybe through you directly, I don't remember exactly, that you were psychic. Um, and I'll confess to always being a little bit skeptical of people that tell me they're psychic, just because <laughs> the field attracts so many charlatans. Right. And we'll get more into this. Um, but at the start of the workshop, you know, I set what's called a resonant energy balloon, which is basically an energetic container to hold the group. We were kind of doing the workshop on um, a huge mat, um, kind of in like the workout area of a wellness center. And so like an hour, hour and a half later, we uh, kind of all dispersed to take a break and you were stepping off the mat. And I noticed that you, um, something was registering with you. And you looked over at me and you said, did you set a perimeter here? And I said, why yes, Jennifer, Lisa, I did set a perimeter there. Um, and that was when I knew you were legit. Um, <laughs> and so I think even at that time, you were telling me that you were working on a book. Um, really glad to see that it's come to fruition here. It's called The Ethical Psychic uh, from North Atlantic Books. Um, and so you are a lifelong psychic. You were born, there it is. <laughs> you were born uh, clairvoyant, clairaudient, clairsentient. Um, and you have Sears on both sides of the family. So a long lineage. You've both worked under other psychics and trained psychics. Um, and I think it's interesting that your first book is not so much on how to be a psychic. It's about ethics and being psychic. And so <laughs> why did you pick this topic? Why um, is ethics in, in um, why is ethics among psychics so important? Well, um, you know, part of the reason is, is what you just mentioned, the charlatans, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, there are people who pretend to be psychics who aren't or who or who or who um, use a pretended gift or even a gift that they do have to um, take advantage of people. And because of that, there is this skepticism that people have of all psychics. And it's good to be skeptical, um, but so many people can be helped by psychics of different kinds, healers of different kinds, whether it's a medical intuitive or an Akashic Records reader, or a, a Reiki practitioner. Uh, there are so many modalities that are really transformative for people. And it's important for people to have access to those and to have that opportunity to have their life improved. Uh, and so we need to make sure that the people who are practicing those arts are doing so ethically. And you know, it's my goal that eventually we'll have standards for these healing practices. And, you know, one of the things I'm working on is the creation of my own school called Metatron's Academy of, of um, Supersensory Science. Because uh, one of the things I, I think we need is some, is some standards. But in the meantime, 
I've been teaching, um, you know, healing psychic arts. I taught medical intuition. I taught Reiki. I taught how to, you know, developing your psychic sense, um, mediumship. And I've also run my own fair for many years, um, a psychic and healing fair where I had a lot of healers and psychics working for me and doing mini readings. And so all of that experience, and then of course I've been a practicing medical intuitive for many years, all of that experience kind of brought to my awareness um, the importance of having character and of making it a choice as a psychic or a healer to uh, do everything you can to help and not harm. Mm -hmm. Now I have a background as a professor of philosophy teaching ethics. And so you, you might say I was already predisposed to think about those things, uh, but I just kept seeing uh, instances of people who were behaving unethically, either, either consciously or unconsciously, sometimes just because they lack the training. And I thought, you know, we need a book as a, like a guidebook that anybody can read that's very accessible, easy to read um, for people who are on this path, developing their gifts and, and working with clients to, you know, so that they can make sure mm -hmm. that they're, um, you know, behaving in an ethical way. Uh, you know, one of the reasons it's so important is because when you're a psychic, you have power over other people. And um, whether you want to or not, you just do. That's because you have access to knowledge that other people don't have. And so whenever you have power, there's a possibility of the corruption of power, right? And so people who have power over others, whether they're, you know, healers or psychics, need to take extra care in how they wield that power. And if you don't take extra care, you will end up hurting people, um, you know, accidentally. Um, and sometimes people hurt people because, you know, of, of you know, an undeveloped character, you know, of being yeah. too ego-based or not humble enough or just not having really thought through the consequences of their actions. Totally. And so I think your background is also really interesting here and important, um, especially as how it relates to um, in, um, indigenous culture. Can you talk a bit about that and how psychics or shaman are chosen within indigenous culture? Okay. Um, yeah, I think that's also why we needed this book, because um, traditionally in, in most indigenous cultures throughout the world, whether we're talking about, you know, uh, the Americas or Africa or Australia, there are lots of indigenous cultures that produce healers and shamans throughout the world. And if you look at a lot of those cultures, you'll see that there is usually a training that happens through a teacher, a apprenticeship or a medicine person. And the, the student who is being trained is trained. There's a big focus on character. Mm -hmm. And also the choice of who becomes a healer is based on character. And, you know, I was taught by some traditional um, teachers as well as, you know, modern mainstream teachers. I've had a variety of teachers. And so I was fortunate to be able to learn from indigenous elders. And in those contexts, you don't choose yourself. Right. <laughs> you don't you don't choose to be a psychic or a healer you are chosen either by either by spirit circumstances that arise in your life or by um, teachers. Mm -hmm. And I was consistently chosen throughout my young life. I didn't want to do this work, but I kept getting pulled aside by teachers and saying, you're one of us, you need to be trained, you know, this is your path. And I kept saying, no, that's not my path. 
I'm an academic, <laughs> you know, mm. I'm my degrees, I'm become a professor, I'm living that life. But eventually I had to say yes to it. And when you're, when you're chosen in that way, I mean, I was also chosen by spirit. So I had spirit teachers who were, who were with me my whole life and training me from the time I was very young and also telling me this is your path. Um, when you approach this work in that way, you're not approaching it out of ego. You're not approaching it because you want status or fame or whatever you think is going to come with doing this work, power over people. Um, you're you're on the path because you've been told to be on the path. Right. What's happening nowadays and in non-Indigenous cultures is that people are choosing the path for themselves by just taking classes or reading books or yep. going online to YouTube or taking online workshops. And um, I'm not criticizing that. I think that, you know, times are changing and we're in a global shift in consciousness. And so the way that we access knowledge is changing and what used to be a cult or hidden is becoming um, open and shared. Mm -hmm. uh, but one of the things that can get lost when we move from this kind of more traditional indigenous way of, of choosing healers to this uh, kind of non-indigenous and also modern way is that you can have people choosing themselves for for all the wrong reasons <laughs> and who want to just take shortcuts and just learn like i want to know how to do that but they don't want to learn the ethics right and learn. i think there's also an emphasis on having special abilities or powers in western culture and um, yeah. connoting that with um, spiritual development which <laughs> is not necessarily the case right right Right. And and there's and there's not a correlation. So a person yeah. can have psychic gifts and not be spiritually evolved at all. That's and really so, important to you know for folks to understand. Yeah, people make the mistake of thinking, oh, because this person has the ability to see spirit, they must have advice for me that I should listen to. Yeah. But that might not be the case. They might just have that ability. Yeah. Yeah. Well, really good. So I'm glad that you've created this book because most psychics are self-taught, right? So it's important for there to be kind of a manual or a text out there um, for people to to be able to reference with regard to ethics and being psychic. Yeah, yeah, I think it's important. And, you know, I was called to write this book by my spirit guides, mm. which is what guides everything I do. Um, and so, you know, they really kind of dictated this book. And then, um, and then of course, there was a lot of you know, editing with a, with a publisher. I'm sure. Um, but, you know, the, the important, there's an important timing to this in that um, we're in this global shift in consciousness where there is a, a, a big increase right now of people incarnating with gifts. And there's also an increase in people incarnating with a, a purpose, a life purpose, which is about helping the planet to uh, raise its vibration. And so it's like you have a whole lot of extra students on the planet now who yeah. need training and who aren't necessarily all going to be able to find their own individual teacher the way the way people used to be able to do because, you know, just because things are changing. Right. And so what are some of the important traits for these folks that are coming into the world now? Well, the, the first one I always talk about is the importance of being of service. And so people have to understand that this work is about being of service. That's the number one priority. And, you know, what I talk about in the book is how if you're if you're always thinking about service, it's going to really help you to make decisions about things like how much do you charge? 
Who do you work with? What do you say to your clients? What do you not say? What kind of colleagues should you work with? What kind of teachers should you choose? If you're thinking all the time about, okay, I'm doing this work to be of service to the planet or to a specific community that you work with, um, then that's that's going to really you know help you to stay on the path of being an ethical psychic. I also talk about things like being humble. It's really important to to be humble and to kind of be conscious of your mistakes and open to feedback about your mistakes. And this is, you know, this is one of the things I saw some people not doing. So a lot of this book was inspired by my experiences with colleagues, with students, um, with people that worked for me at my fair and just kind of the, the things that people were doing that I realized were resulting in harm. And one of them was, was the ego was, you know, being arrogant. And, you know, one of the things I say in the book and what I tell my students all the time is, you know, the very best psychics in the world are 80 to 90% accurate. Mm -hmm. And these are like the famous people who have a huge platform and they got that platform. A lot of them, not, not always, but a lot of them got that platform because they were consistently accurate at that level. And so I say, you know, if you're not somebody who's got this incredible track record of, of reviews from clients saying that you're always accurate or you're not, you know, kind of, um, you know, on this huge platform, you probably are a lot less accurate. Maybe so. <laughs> <laughs> and so you have to go in knowing that, Hey, I'm only 70% accurate. What does that mean? 30% of the time I'm wrong. Yeah, and so carrying around the consciousness that I am wrong 30% of the time is going to bring some humility to your work. Yeah. And so one of the things I encourage people to say to their clients is, okay, maybe I got that wrong. So like sometimes you'll say to a client something, oh, well, you know, I'm seeing that you have a, you know, fractious relationship with your mother. And they might say, no, I don't. I love my mother and I have great <laughs> friends. Yeah. You don't just double down and say, no, I'm telling you. <laughs> you say, okay, maybe I got that wrong. Yeah. And you see, if you're really if you're really tuning in accurately, what will happen is that information will come through again and again, uh -huh. at which point I might say to the client, you know what, uh, I might be phrasing this wrong, but I am getting again and again that there's a component of your relationship with your mother, which is contributing to your illness. Right. I might have to say it again in another way. But sometimes I'll see these famous psychics on TV or on the radio. and I'm not going to name any names, but. They'll give a reading to someone and the person will say, that's not true. And the and the psychic will say, well, uh, you know, yes, it is. Just think about it or, you know, you'll see it's true later. Right. And there's like no acknowledgement they they could possibly be wrong. Yeah. Uh, you have to be able to say, hey, I could be wrong about this, because sometimes what will happen is the client will call you a week later and say, oh, you know what? You were right about that, but I just wasn't remembering Right. Um, and it's okay. And it's also okay to be wrong. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know? Uh, so, so humility, uh, being of service. I'm going to look at the book so I can remember all the traits. So I list in the book. Well, the traits one that, that we already kind of touched on briefly, but not, we didn't fully go into it. So maybe we can do it now is being authentic. Being authentic is a big one that I talk a lot yeah. about in the book. And I talk about authenticity in a few different ways. So I, I say that, you know, authenticity is about being true to yourself, being true to your spiritual lineage and being true to your purpose. Mm -hmm. And so there's these different levels of authenticity that an ethical psychic has to kind of tune into. And, um, you know, you know, one is you have to be, uh, 
you know, kind of representing yourself for who you really are. Mm -hmm. And that means don't pretend that you have gifts you don't. Don't um, act like you're more talented than you are. Don't pretend that you have gifts that are popular, you know, yeah. like, like I'm a medical intuitive, but I noticed like about 20 years ago when I was getting started that I couldn't really find a teacher. And it was, and when I did try to find a course on medical intuition, it would be like an intuitive who was just teaching intuition and there was no medical component at all. And they were just teaching it because it was popular and they wanted to make money. Yeah. <laughs> And so you know, that's not being authentic. And you have people who will say, oh, and I, and I also went to some medical intuitives who they weren't medical intuitives. They were just intuitives. Mm -hmm. And but they were billing themselves that way because it was it was a, like a popular thing. And so that's an example of you know not being authentic. And that's that's how you then get into trouble. Right. Where you could potentially harm people because you're representing yourself in a way that's that's not true to who you really are, what your gifts are. And then another another form of authentic inauthenticity is when you're not true to your actual spiritual lineage, your actual training. And sometimes that's your cultural uh, training. And sometimes that's just your like your lineage who trained you. Yeah. And so cultural appropriation is an example of inauthenticity when people pretend to have training in a lineage they don't have in order to obtain status or money. Um, and to portray themselves as an expert in a particular tradition right. so that they can, um, you know, succeed. And so this is a big problem right now. Um, well, it's, yeah. it's been a problem for a while. <laughs> and I think we kind of have to be maybe a bit more explicit about this. So, you know, a lot of the people out there that are kind of avatars of shamanism these days um, right. are not... Um, of the uh, um, originating indigenous culture. They're of European ancestry, right? Right. Um, and so what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I talk about that in the book and I only mention one person by name because yep. you know, for legal reasons, <laughs> my publisher didn't allow me to name all the people that do this. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, there's this whole tradition in the US um, that was really started by Michael Harner Mm -hmm. of this tradition called core shamanism. And if you look at his course materials, he actually defines it as a course that he created essentially for white people right. to get in touch with a tradition that they don't actually have. Yeah. And and then, then there's this whole lineage. There's, you know, and, and so and so these are people, Michael and his students are people who they weren't trained by indigenous shamans and they weren't told we're going to allow you to carry this lineage on. Yeah. And they don't pretend to be. I don't yep. well, I don't know if they pretend to be. Some of them might. But what they did was they kind of extracted aspects of indigenous shamanism and then they redefined it as this thing called core shamanism and and then they packaged it for specifically for white Americans to have this experience. Right. Um and the problem that that wouldn't be in and of itself problematic, but what what was problematic about it was that they then got set up as the experts on shamanism in the United States. And so mm -hmm. their books became like the number one rated books of all books on shamanism, their courses, their workshops, every, every conference that you went to, they were the headliners for shamanism. Mm -hmm. 
And so what cultural appropriation is, is not cultural sharing, nothing wrong with cultural sharing. Cultural appropriation is when you claim to be the expert on somebody else's culture, and then you displace the actual experts uh, to become the only or the pr predominant expert. And then you get all of the status and all of the money yep. that should have been going to the actual indigenous experts. And that's why it's harmful is that people now think that shamanism is defined by these non-indigenous people and their schools and their and their books and programs. Right. And then people, so it's starting to change now that you're we're starting to see more indigenous shamans with uh, you know books and with courses that are that are being promoted. But um, it's it's a real problem, you know, mm. cultural appropriation. We're also the big thing now with cultural appropriation is ayahuasca ceremonies. Yes. And so we have all of these people going down to Peru and I've had personal experience with, I talk, I tell a story, I tell a lot of stories in the book <laughs> based on my that own story experience. because that's a good one that I think really illustrates the point. Well, cause you're kind of laying this out all in a way that is very accurate and I think diplomatic, fair, and even handed, but tell the story of, you know, kind of the native curandero who basically gets exploited by sort of the, yeah. So I had a, I had a, a uh, what should I say? I got to keep the identity hidden. I yeah. knew, let's say I knew somebody. I knew I knew somebody well. Yeah. Um. And he was a white man, and he was going down to Peru and taking workshops with a Peruvian medicine man mm -hmm. in ayahuasca and and all the other related um, plant medicines that they work with down there. Right. And these were very extensive ceremonies. He would go down for a couple of weeks. And then he started to um, bring his friends down there, which was good for the medicine man because he yes. was bringing people down and they were paying for the ceremonies and they were being transformed. It was a wonderful thing. But then after a couple of years, he decided, and then he started bringing the medicine man up to the United States and holding workshops in the U.S. And again, the medicine man's getting paid. His village, which was a very poor village, was benefiting. Mm -hmm. And so, so far, so good, right? <laughs> <laughs> then the, the the white American decides, hey, I could save a lot of money by instead of paying for this medicine man to fly to the U.S. and putting him up and all this and sharing the the uh, fee with him. Yeah. I'll just start running my own ceremonies. Wow. So he starts running his own ceremonies in his house um, and in other people's house is in, in Los Angeles. And now he has set himself up as the medicine man, yeah, making the money. He has the status, and the medicine man who trained him is not getting anything. Yeah, this I think I actually know example. people that go to this guy. Pardon me. I think I actually know people that go to this. Guy. Oh, you might. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yeah, yeah, not really ethical. Not clean it's not it's not it's not ethical because he, yeah. he he wasn't given the permission to do that and he's mm -hmm. also exploiting somebody yep. he's harming a whole community mm -hmm. and he's also harming a tradition he's harming his clients too because he's not he's not accurately representing that tradition because he's giving he's making shortcuts like the way they do it in peru there's like a long process of fasting and mm -hmm. you know, dietary changes and praying before you actually do the plant medicine versus yeah. now people go to this guy's attic in three hours, they have an experience that there's no preparation. There's no vetting of people like, are you ready for a ceremony? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like I know people that like do this on like a monthly basis. 
like right and then people get addicted and see that's another example of harm i do talk about that in book in the book is you know codependency uh sorry emotional dependency is when you have clients whether they're doing a ceremony with you or um, healing or psychic and they become dependent on coming to you to do it all of the time Mm -hmm. you're not supposed to be doing ayahuasca every month right So this sort of takes us into the risks now. What are some of the unethical risks of being psychic? Okay, I'm going to look at my book so I can remember. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so I outlined six risks of psychic work. Yeah. Um, one, invading the privacy of others. Two, client dependency, which I just talked just about a little about bit. Three, financial exploitation. Four, no, making matters worse. Five, perverting the will of another. And six... Uh, six, the misuse of sexual energy. Uh, that's a juicy one. Let's start there. Okay. Which yeah. one? Sexual energy? Yeah. Uh-huh. That's a popular one. That's a popular <laughs> one. Yeah. yeah. People love to talk about sex and money. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so this too was based on um, my motivation for writing about this was based on my experience witnessing mm-hmm. uh, this behavior. And uh, I also tell this story in the book, although I, I don't name names, um, about a spiritual teacher. And there's a lot of, sp- I do name some names in the book of spiritual teachers who've been in the news for sexually abusing their clients. Uh, it's usually a man, although of course a woman <laughs> can also do this or a, tra- yeah. or a non-binary person could also engage in sexual abuse, but it, it has tended to be mostly men. Usually dudes, yeah. Yeah, who use their gifts or their status as a spiritual teacher or guru to, um, you know, sexually abuse their um, their students or engage in like, you know, sex with all of their students or use sex as a way to kind of control their students. And so, uh, what I talk about in 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 the in the book is how you know when you're a um, a psychic or a healer, you may tend to have a larger than normal oral, uh, sorry, aura. And um, you may be kind of magnetic and people can be attracted to you because they're attracted to you energetically. Mm-hmm. But being attracted to you energetically um, you know, is easily mistaken for sexual attraction. Yeah. And so you'll find that if you're a spiritual teacher and you have a lot of students that people will be, your students will be sexually attracted to you. They'll be hitting on you. They'll be, you know, wanting to sleep with you. And that's because they're getting confused about what is this attraction I feel to this person. And they don't realize this attraction is a spiritual attraction. Well, people can take advantage of that. <laughs> My dog just came in the room and looked at me. What are you doing? <laughs> um People can get confused by that. And so uh, you could take advantage of that as a as a, a teacher. And some people do. And so what will happen is, you know, sometimes it's something they're not conscious of where all of a sudden they're sleeping with a whole bunch of their students or clients and, and they just think that they're just the hottest thing. <laughs> um, uh, but sometimes it's a case of, you know, really consciously deciding to use your position as a healer or or a, a psychic or a, a teacher to get access to people's bodies, you know, to mm-hmm. get access to sex that you wouldn't normally have access to. 
And I talk a little bit in the book about gurus, fake gurus and fake shamans. And these are people who kind of set up spiritual communities where they have a lot of rules about how you're supposed to behave. And what you'll see in these communities is this hypocrisy of spiritual teachers that um, tell their the members of their community, oh, you can't have sex, you have to be celibate, or I have to choose your partner for you, or I'm going to marry you to certain people. Um, and yet at the same time, they'll be having sex with all of their you know, with a whole bunch of their students. Right. So there's this this hypocrisy, which is a, a red flag to let you know this is a fake guru. Um, but I tell this story, um, maybe I'll tell it since you wanted me to tell some stories. Yeah. One story I tell is about this um, spiritual leader in um, in Los Angeles. It's always and, in LA, uh, isn't it? Well, I was in Los Angeles. You know, I, I did a lot of work in Los Angeles, but <laughs> let's not malign LA. Yeah. Got stories from other cities too. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've got stories from Florida. I've got stories from um, you know the Bay Area. Everyone's got stories from Florida, right? Well, everyone has everyone has the Florida man story, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> um, you know, there was a there was a spiritual teacher in LA, um, and and he was. Uh, this is an example of how you can use your gifts to kind of kind of sexually abuse people. Is he would. Um, go out of body and visit people in their meditations or in their sleep and have these, you know, interactions with them on um, the other planes on the astral plane. Mm -hmm. And for a lot of people, most people don't have kind of conscious memories of their travels out of body. Right. And because they don't, when they have any kind of memory of an out of body travel, it feels really significant to them. And so these women, and I actually knew these women personally, so I, I really had firsthand um, accounts of, of this going on. I also personally witnessed it because I do travel out of body consciously, and I actually saw him doing this stuff, and I, I didn't want to believe it at first, and I was like, no, this can't be right. But then I got back these like um, confirmations from these women that this is, was their experience, that he would show up in their meditations and talk about them having a spiritual marriage. Mm. or being fated to be together or show up in their dreams like every night and your dreams of course is just you going out of body but people don't remember it that way they remember it as a dream so they would remember these vivid dreams of this spiritual teacher always you know showing up and being married to them or having like some kind of interaction on the on the spiritual plane and then that was kind of a way of grooming them to then have a physical relationship with him on the physical plane yeah. And um, and so this is a this is like a really, ex, you know, clear example of somebody using their gifts um, for sex, mm-hmm. you know, which is clearly unethical. You know, you're yeah, harmed because he ended up harming these people. You totally, know, they, you know, I, I think you make the point that this doesn't just happen to people that are emotionally damaged either. And the perpetrators are not always sociopaths. It's you know, it's important to recognize that as well. Right. I think that's how people get into trouble is a lot of people think, well, I would never join a cult because I'm not an emotionally damaged person or I would be able to tell if somebody was a sociopath. And Mm -hmm. I have studied cults as, you know, as part of the research for this book, because I talk in the book about about fake gurus and cults. Mm -hmm. And, you know, these people who are who are who become, you know, fake shamans and fake gurus and or cult leaders are often very gifted people. 
they often have a lot of gifts, psychic gifts. They're often charismatic. They're often extremely intelligent. And, and they also are often offering something very valuable. And so the people that are attracted to them are not just attracted to them because they have emotional wounds. And of course, most people have emotional wounds. So it's not like that's a tiny subset of the population. Yeah. We all have emotional wounds, but you don't have to be like um, an emotional basket case to be attracted to a charismatic leader, especially oh. if they're offering something of value. Mm -hmm. And so what I saw in studying these different cults is that they were offering something of value. And that's kind of how they get you in the door is that they were offering true transformation. But yep. then once they got people to that point of transformation, then that's when the exploitation began, either sexual or financial exploitation. Mm -hmm. And people didn't see it coming. Yeah because they were focused on the transformation. They're like, oh, this has been really beneficial to me. If someone's helping me, how could they be harming me? But it, it often goes hand in hand that the person that's helping them, in yeah. the case of a cult, ends up harming them. Right, so it's not all black and white. Like they are getting something out of it, but there's also some harm that comes with it. Like it's not- Yeah, and, it's, and it can be subtle. And, and yeah. that's why, you know, I talk a lot, you know, I talk about power, you know, when you're a psychic, you have power over people. And and if you don't make it your clear intention not to harm people, you can harm people inadvertently or, or, you know, or purposely. Yeah. Cool. Um, let's segue a bit here and talk about your view of the afterlife, because there's some interesting overlap with kind of the Robert Monroe focus level cosmology here that um, I think will be, will be interesting for folks. Yeah. So, you know, because my, um, because my experience is so varied, um, the, in the book, I talk about a lot of different modalities. And so I have a couple of chapters on um, the danger of working with spirits, some of the risks that can come from working with spirits and mm -hmm. working with portals. Mm -hmm. My dog is joining the conversation. Um, and, and, you know, I was trained as a medium. Yeah. for many years by the spiritualists in Florida. And I was actually born a medium and I got training in mediumship also um, by black spiritualists and by Shangoists in Trinidad and Jamaican teachers. Uh, but when I started studying with the um, white spiritualists in Florida, you know, it was really kind of, um, you know, a, a much more kind of, uh, I don't know how to explain that, but <laughs> regimented type of, you know, do it this way. Okay. And, and after I left that training, you know, because I've had so many different trainings, I ended up combining all of my trainings into my practice. And in doing that, I started to work with a lot of different clients working with different spirits. So I started out, you know, mediumship, helping people talk to deceased loved ones. And then later I was doing some spirit release work in the context of healing. So I had people coming to me for Reiki and spiritual healing and they were on my table. And then I discovered they had spirit attachments. And then I, I learned that by removing spirit attachments, I could help them to recover. Mm. And so in that whole, that whole process, and then also because of all the ceremony I've been involved in, I've had a lot of encounters with spirit and with working with portals. And in, the, in that context, I learned about some of the dangers, some of the risks involved. And so for example, I work with, uh, when I have people on my um, healing table, I started to work with these portals mm -hmm. where I could um, bring through angels or what I call angel orderlies to assist me 
in healing my clients. And so these angel orderlies are from the angelic realm. And I, you know, they're called orderlies because they kind of dress like the orderlies in a hospital that help you, you know, carry heavy patients. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's really what they do. They did heavy lifting for me. And so they would come in and assist me with helping with difficult, difficult cases. And so I, um, I was doing that work. And then in the context of, of that work, um, I, I discovered that I, I had a colleague who was opening a different type of portal. Mm. And, um, and the, the way that she opened a different type of portal was through the misuse of plant medicine. So we're back to the psychedelics. Yeah. <laughs> um, so now because people are taking plant medicine out of cultural context and because, you know, fake shamans are running ceremonies, people now think they can just take plant medicine without a ceremony. Um, and then they're getting themselves into trouble. Mm -hmm. And so this is what this person did. They they had they said they were going to have a ceremony in their in their space, and what it really was was they just got some mushrooms or something and and tripped. Yeah. And because they didn't have a medicine person there or a shaman or anybody to kind of protect them, and because they weren't uh, gifted enough or advanced enough in their own training to be their own shaman. Um, they they opened up a portal in in the healing room and it was not a portal that was giving them access to the angelic realm like mine it was a portal that was allowing all kind of beings to come and go mm -hmm. and as a result after they opened that portal um i was teaching a class in that space and uh, i went in and i saw this and i i said hey this this can't be here who opened this this needs to be closed and um you know, this person didn't listen. And then some people did some healing work in there and they got hurt. One of them mm. ended up in the hospital. Another person, a, a child was hurt. Mm. Ended up having to go to the doctor um, because they were working in a, in a, in a space that wasn't safe. Yeah. And so when you're working mediumistically or you're working in ceremony and you're dealing with things like portals or you're working with spirits um, there are risks and the risks are to your patients or your, your clients, but there's also a risk to the spirits. And so I also talk about that in the book, how, and I learned this also from doing a lot of mediumship readings. Um, sometimes I would be, um, people would say, oh, I want to talk to uncle Joe. And then I would, I would contact uncle Joe. And I would, I found out after doing a lot of these sessions that you know, a lot of spirits have better things to do on the other side than to come talk to us. Yeah. And so, but they might emotionally feel like they have to, if right. called, like if you call them, they might feel like, oh, I have to help out my niece. And so I'm going to come and help them. But if you keep calling them to earth, you can interfere with their own soul path. Mm -hmm. They're supposed to be over there working on their healing, working on their, um, their education or their, and, and instead they're coming and spending all this time in the earth plane, trying to help their earth relatives. And so there's that risk that you could uh, interfere with the soul progression of a spirit by calling them over and over to earth. Interesting. So what are some of the options in your experience that are usually presented to the deceased? Oh, when they, when they pass. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I learned that just by working with a lot of dead people. Yeah. Um, and so I end up specializing in, in traumatic and tragic death. And so I should just say that at the outset that that's going to mm -hmm. bias my results. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and so I'll tell you that 
um, I learned from that that a lot of people who died, you know, traumatically or tragically or suddenly, like in a shocking way, um, they don't just kind of go to the light and, you know, have their life review. They will go instead to a healing or a rehabilitation room. And I've actually seen several rooms. And so some mm -hmm. people, when they die, they're so shocked by their death, or if it's a suicide, that they'll just kind of go to sleep. And yeah. so they'll they'll be in this room on the other side where they're just kind of sleeping mm -hmm. until they're ready to kind of accept that they've passed. Mm -hmm. And then another room that people go to after that is a healing room. Mm -hmm. And I've seen them in like a group healing setting where there's several spirits, kind of like group therapy. <laughs> yeah. And then there's another room I've seen them go to where they're getting like one-on-one -on -one counseling with a teacher, uh -huh. like a spiritual teacher. And, and then there's the life review. Um, this is where you go and you work with an incarnation guide and they help you review your life, what you learned, what you didn't learn, how you helped people, how you hurt people so that you can understand um, kind of the net result of, of your life. And so this way you can also plan your next life or your next step. Some people don't right. reincarnate. Some people stay on the other side and go to school. So, so that's another option is some people are going to spirit school. So I see a lot of spirits who are in school, like students in school. Yeah. And, and then there are some adv more advanced souls that are teachers over there. Yeah. And so I've seen some, some souls over there who are actually teaching classes and then there's committee work. <laughs> uh -huh. So like I work on committees on the other side. I don't, what, I don't really know what else to call it. Yeah. Yeah. And this is where spirits, some of them are alive. Some of them are not on the earth plane will meet in committees and work on different issues related to the earth plane. Yep. Um, so th that's fascinating because all of what you're describing is very, very similar to what in Bob Monroe parlance is called focus 27. Um, oh, so, is it focus yeah, 27? So, yeah. I don't know yeah. that all the focuses I've taken, no, but your classes with you've me, experienced it and like are in are speaking to it uh, very eloquently. So um, that's, that's quite interesting. Yeah. 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 I love, I love uh, Monroe. I read all of Monroe's books like about 20 years ago and, uh -huh. and taken some of your workshops. And I, I, uh, I always recommend his work to to students who are wanting to learn how to have more conscious out of body travel and mm -hmm. more awareness. Yeah. Well, cool. I mean, this was awesome. Thanks for taking the time, Jennifer, Lisa, and uh, really excited about your book. Um, looks like it's doing really well. Um, so if you guys are watching, check it out. Um, depending on what platform you're on, um, leave us a like or a question or a comment. We'll try to respond. Um, Jennifer, Lisa, are there any platforms that you would like to tell people about or upcoming events that um, our our listeners or viewers should know about? Um, I Yeah, I have a couple of uh, in-person author events coming up. Um, okay. I'm going to be at Barnes & Noble in um, Walnut Creek on Saturday for a book signing at 3 p.m. And then I'll be in Burbank, Los Angeles on uh, November 27th between two to four at a, a place called the uh, Office Space Gallery. Cool. And um, you can find information about my uh, book signings and book events on my uh, Instagram, which is Spirit Teacher. Cool. And uh, our, our our Instagram follows uh, Jennifer Lisa's Instagram, so you can find her that way too. Um, yeah. Very good. And, yeah. And I am also, uh, I have a course 
an online course that I'm offering on my website called uh, medical intuition training. Mm -hmm. And uh, so you can get to that either from my website, which is drvestmedicalintuitive.com, drvestmedicalintuitive.com, or you can just go to medicalintuitiontraining.com if you wanted to uh, take that course with me. Cool. So check all that out, people. Um, thank you very much, Jennifer Lisa. Thanks to you all for listening. Uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you so much.